You are listening to a Raw Collective podcast. Hello and welcome to season two of What Matters Most, a podcast hosted by me, Antonia Preble, and my good friend, Jackie Maguire, who also happens to be a clinical psychologist. Together, we discuss issues that have a real impact on how we feel about and experience our lives. I get so much out of these conversations, and I hope you will too. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the first episode of season two of What Matters Most. Jackie and I are so happy to be back having chats about the things in life that matter most, and we are so glad that you are joining us. We have been so delighted with the feedback that we have received about season one. As we said in our intro back then, it was really important to both of us that that we make this project that hopefully had a real practical, tangible benefit in people's lives. And thank you for telling us that it has meant a lot to you and that you have got a lot out of it because yeah, we're so so pleased about that, that what we intended on doing is in fact what is happening. I have actually been overwhelmed at the amount of correspondence we have received and the specificity of what people have. That's a word, isn't it? Specificity. Sure is. You know, of what people put in their messages. And I think for me, this work, Antonia, has been the meaning work. You know, you do this knowing that it is actually really helping people reflect and crystallize important aspects of their life. So thank you so much for everybody that has written in or voice messaged or got in touch with Antonia I or or Hannah, our producer. We are so grateful and it's a real delight to be back. It really is. And we have a great season planned for you this time. There's, There's lots to talk about once again. And we are also really keen to continue to hear back from you guys about what topics you would like us to talk about and what advice you would like from Jackie on on which subject. So please feel free to contact either of us or the Raw Collective, our producer on social media and yeah, get in touch with any and all suggestions that you would like us to tackle because we are, we're very happy to do that. And in fact, we would like this to become more and more targeted into the topics that our listeners would like us Mm. to address. Yeah, very much. We want it to be a, a two-way reciprocal relationship. So, and we only have so much brain space, don't we, Antonia? Like in terms of we can only think think so many topics. And so we need your help. Tell us. Tell us what you want. Look, we've just got enough for season two. But look, <laughs> if, you've, if you've got any ideas for season three, hit us up. <laughs> <laughs> so we're starting season two today with a doozy, uh, something that almost everyone will relate to who is listening, and that is mental load. So what is mental load? It is the invisible labor in a household. It is the overseeing of tasks. It is anticipating needs, identifying options, fulfilling them, making decisions, monitoring progress. It is very distinct from the tangible and physical jobs around the house, such as cooking or cleaning. Now, Interestingly, this often falls on women's shoulders. And from the research that I did on this, Jackie, some studies suggest that nine out of 10 women feel that the balance of labor within a household is uneven and that the mental load falls on them. And furthermore, that that this is not acknowledged or even recognized, let alone appreciated. (laughs) 
So it's a really significant issue that lots of mainly women are experiencing. So there's a lot to unpack about it. So I'm hoping that we can do that today and provide some tools and strategies as always as to how we might redress the balance if someone does feel like they are carrying more of the mental load and therefore the balance of labor within a household is uneven. So I've given one definition of mental load, but Jackie, do you have your own definition that you'd like to start with? Well, this is my way of thinking about mental load, Antonia. Do you know what day your rubbish is collected? Do you know right now how much milk is in the fridge? Do you remember the birthdays of your extended family and are you the present buyer for those? Do you have the number of the doctors saved in your phone? Do you go around shutting drawers and closing the doors around the family members, wandering behind them? If you have children, do you know the names of all their friends, their friends' parents? Do you pay the insurance in your household? Do you know when you last did the last supermarket shop, when the shower was cleaned? Do you remember the, the name of your friend's new boyfriend? If you have a partner, what was the name of their grandmother? Where do they live? How do they like their tea? Uh, do you know when you need to next water the plants? Uh, if you've got a pet, do you organise someone to come and feed that pet when you go away on holiday? Have you organised the holiday, including booking all the accommodation, <laughs> ensuring everybody's bags are packed, perhaps apart from your partner's, uh, managing insurance for that holiday? Do you know where all the passports for the family are now and could you say off the top of your head exactly how the bread levels are in the pantry? (laughs) Jackie, that was really quite great. I was definitely nodding along to a lot of that. Not everything I I have to say, but I'm sure that again, many slash most, perhaps nine out of 10 listeners also, if you are women, because again, this seems to be, generally speaking, a women's issue. However, we might look into that a little bit more. You would probably also be nodding along and really identifying with this. Basically, you take that list, Antonia, and you think, how much of your headspace every day is outside of what you would consider your role description? You know, whether it be your role description at work or your role description as a partner or mother. And I think, as you said earlier, we often think about roles and you think about whether it's doing the grocery shopping or cooking the family meal or ensuring that the house is clean, or if it's at work, you'll have your set list of tasks. But what goes on behind those tasks? How much do you have to think about what's coming up for the week ahead? Do the children need vaccinations? Have they grown out of their clothing? If you're wanting to outsource things in the house like a cleaner, who organises the cleaner, who interviews them, who advertises for them? So it's like you can see surface chores or surface tasks, but often there's a lot of thinking, organising, planning, researching, disseminating of information that happens behind the scenes. And that takes cognitive power and thought process and capacity, right, to be able to keep track of all those elements of life, be it work, family, friends, community. And so I think what the mental load has put a label to, really probably in the last decade, is just the tax that that puts on the person that holds a considerable amount of that thinking, planning, organising behind the scenes. And like the study that I um, was looking into, it did say in nine out of 10 
women uh, experience this, but we're not necessarily just talking to women here. We're talking to the people who experience the mental load. Absolutely, because you also have same-sex couples. And so I think if you look at some other research, a PhD candidate from Harvard in 2016 started researching mental load. It took her five years to complete her research. She really started working with couples and breaking down this decision fatigue and the onus, I think, of where the decisions sat in a household. And she conducted that research by asking each member of the couple, um, and some were heterosexual couples, some were same-sex couples, to keep a decision diary for 24 hours. So every time you either think about a decision that needs to be made or you're making a decision, I want you to write that down on a list. Then she interviewed each of the parties separately. And so just say, Antonia, you know, her example was my first decision of the day was what to feed the children. And then she'd ask questions like, well, what's available to feed the children in in the house for breakfast? It might be porridge, it might be wheat bix, it might be cornflakes. Okay, who made the decision to buy those food groups from the supermarket? And why did you choose that? Because you know the children like that, because you know they'll eat their breakfast. So, you know, just really drilling down into all the thought that goes behind the actual shop. Mm-hmm. And, and then she would bring both parts of the couple in together and they'd compare their lists. And so from her research, yes, she found that women predominantly had much larger lists than the men. In same-sex couples, they were more even. So there were still some discrepancies, but they were more likely to have communicated about how those decisions were made. Perhaps they were more likely to have really worked together on how they split tasks in the house. So yeah, there very much was a different pattern between heterosexual couples and same-sex couples. Which is interesting because again, we're not just trying to like be down on men at all here. We're just looking at the situation and in this case, mental load does seem to be something that is worn more heavily by women than men. I'm interested, Jackie, as to why you think this is happening. Like my instinct is that traditionally throughout history, running Mm -hmm. a household has been women's work. (laughs) You know, I say that in in inverted commas. Mm -hmm. And now that women are back doing paid work, there's still this ingrained pattern of women also doing the household work. Like it's a generational societal, cultural thing? I think it's complex. I think that's absolutely part of it. And one would hope, right, as we have more women in the workforce more than ever, there would be a fair and even distribution of load at home. And I think probably in many households, both couples would say they do divide the chores evenly. And so again, it's how you're talking about this topic. Are you talking about who does the shop first, who cooks the dinner, or are you talking about who does all the thinking behind the decisions? Mm-hmm. Because part of the example for this is, yes, I may have a partner who does what I ask them to do, but the fact that I need to ask them to do something is still my mental load. Like if you have ownership over part of the household, own it. So I don't even have to think about it. Absolutely. And if you're still, yeah, if you're asking someone for help, it still means that it's ultimately your domain and they're like helping you in your role. But what we're hopefully trying to get towards is that that thinking is just not going to be your role anymore. <laughs> that you can no, totally pass and, and it the over. research has kind of talked about that in terms of if you're having to ask for help, it's like you have therefore assumed the role of the manager yeah. in the household and. Again, I think some couples might like that. So it's about whether 
you like it or not, or the tax on you in terms of how fatiguing, tiring, et cetera, it is about whether this mental load is something that you think about, want to talk to your partner about, try and find a different way of navigating. But what I found really interesting is my hope would be as more women work the same hours as their male partners, that the mental load and and the physical load of running a household would be divided evenly. But contrary to that, what some of the research, and I should say the research is pretty new in this area, so I think we always have to take things with a grain of salt and look beyond perhaps what some of the simple conclusions are. But they say, actually, as a woman earns more or climbs higher up, I suppose, their career ladder, actually what seems to happen is they then carry more responsibility at home. So this was the stats. According to the study, which was held in 2017, it was commissioned by a non-profit organisation. Primary breadwinning women are three times more likely than breadwinning fathers to be keepers of their children's schedules and responsible for getting them to and from appointments and after-school activities. They're 34% more likely to manage the family finances 30% more likely to organise family gatherings and holidays, and 38% more likely to take care of home maintenance, be that organising, gardeners, cleaners, repairs. That is so many percents when you put all those percents together, (laughs) you know? Like, that is just very marked, isn't it? That's a hell of a lot. Huge, yeah. And I think, Antonia, whether it's society ingrained historic roles that have you know, led to some of these stats, whether it's perhaps women that are the breadwinners perhaps have a like for control and doing things a certain way, or they're very able and capable women and have always assumed the role, be it as a child, be it at university, be it in their jobs, of being a yes, I can attitude And that just continues into, you know, family life and and parent life around, you know, yep, I can absorb that. Yep, I can absorb that task and they just take it on themselves. Because I think in some partnerships, and probably I'm thinking of myself in this instance, you know, when I look at that, yes, I do most of the family finances, not all of them. I would do most of organising family gatherings, et cetera. But I think I just... I do it without asking. (laughs) So have I given my husband a fair chance of even having part of the mental load or have I just taken it myself? Mm. Because I'm used to just being the yes, I can do it all attitude. I think that's a a really interesting point you make and something that is important to bring up here is that, again, we're not just here to blame men for for not pulling their weight. And there's two sides to every story and it is always a great thing with with anything in our lives to recognize our own parts that we play in things and to take responsibility for the parts that we have Mm. control over. So I think, yes, there is this discrepancy here, which is really tough on women. So as women, what reflecting can we do Mm. on how we may have got here? And as you said, Jackie, it is most probably a complex situation involving society, history, culture, and the gender roles that we ourselves align with and that we feel happy with. I read a really interesting thing when I was looking into this, that women who live alone keep their houses a lot less clean than women who live with partners, suggesting that there's some kind of worth or sense of value that we get in our role as a partner of someone if 
as a carer. Yeah, and as like a, a as a as a good homemaker, you know, like someone who's like a, a good wife, a good partner, a good mother. So potentially, when some women, we we get a sense of worth and value if we set really high standards for ourselves around how clean we keep our house, how organized we are, how we parent our children with the latest research and, you know, all thinking that's gone into it. So it is a really good thing to reflect on. Like, have we, to a certain extent, hemmed ourselves into a corner here? And is there is there room for movement with both people in the relationship? Well, it's interesting. You can keep extrapolating those thoughts, right? So if I, by nature, have taken more of the load on because of meta stereotypes and they would be thoughts I have internally about my role, whether that be my gender role, my role as a mother, my role as a working mother, my role as a partner, whatever that may be, is there some ingrained meta stereotypes that I hold that drive my behavior? And if I am kind of sucking up and holding this huge mental load because, you know, history has taught me that's what I should do without me even consciously thinking that, then actually at the same time, does that send a message to my partner that either I don't believe they're able to do it? Absolutely, yeah. Does that diminish their sense of efficacy, of confidence? Because I think most partners before they enter the partnership probably lived pretty successfully on their own. So they would have had to manage their appointments and household tasks before they came into the partnership. So, you know, but I also know that if someone does something for you all the time, you do stop thinking about it and you might lose that sense of I'm able. Yeah, I totally agree. So when Jackie and I were thinking about sponsors for this show, it was really important to both of us that we partnered with companies that align with our values and our way of thinking. Absolutely, it was a non-negotiable. So we are really delighted to team up with Whoop, a beautiful food box company that helps you create delicious dinners in under 30 minutes. Do you know, Antonia, my family have used Whoop over the years, and if you're anything like me, which I know you are, life is busy and the mental load is large, and I'm always looking for effective shortcuts to make life simpler and easier. And with Whoop, it is amazing. The veggies are pre-chopped, the sauces are handmade, and man, can you taste the difference. The recipes are just so easy to follow, and what I love is that the ingredients are sourced right here from New Zealand. And Antonia, this is the bit I know you will love. With Whoop, there is so much less chopping, less mixing, less faffing, and what does that mean? It means less cleaning up. Yes, Jackie, you know me very well. The no chopping and way less cleaning up factors could be my favourite parts of Whoop. And I actually find that Whoop just makes my whole day easier, just knowing that I don't have to think of what we're going to eat, I don't have to go to the supermarket, I just don't have to think about dinner at all is a huge weight off my mind. I'm getting hungry talking about all this beautiful food. Do you know another wonderful thing about Whoop is that everything is recycled through their Back to Base program. You just rinse out the containers, you put all your packaging back in the box, even the soft plastics, and you leave it out to be collected when your next box is delivered. And if all that wasn't tempting enough, Whoop are offering our listeners 30% off their first box. So you just head to whoop.co.nz and use the code podcast at the checkout. That's woop.co.nz and use the code podcast. 
again, there's just so many kind of sides to this situation, but sometimes someone in the partnership may have higher standards about a certain task or the thinking behind a certain task than the other person. That thing might be more important to one person or the other. And also, again, if we're just going with the research and saying it's commonly women who uh, experience the mental load, we've had a long time of getting good <laughs> at managing the at household, juggling. at managing the mental load. So again, we can you can understand why as women, if your partner did try a certain task and they it, they didn't do it very well because they weren't used to it, it could be really frustrating and be like, oh, okay, I'll just do it mm. because it's easier. But and similarly, you can understand from the partner's point of view, if as you say, if they're just sort of getting told that they're doing it wrong and feel criticized when they try, I wouldn't want to keep trying. I, I just feel stink about it and yeah. go, okay, well, I'm clearly not good at this, so we'll just maintain the status quo. Yeah, it, it's the classic, why would I load the dishwasher if you're going to come and reload it afterwards? Absolutely. And sorry, you go. Uh, I'm, was, I'm getting quite heated about this. I've got so much to say, but you go. <laughs> I also think it's quite interesting because some of the rhetoric is around um, males that have been brought up by single mothers and how they potentially contribute more to the mental load than men that have been raised by both parents. And again, what does that teach us about role modelling and your mental map of what's normal and expected? And so again, I don't, I don't think this is an anti-male conversation and I don't think there's any judgment or blame. But if you have been raised in a household where predominantly the mother managed the household, that's your map of normal. And I look at my upbringing and my parents, I think, well, my mother might challenge me on this. I would say my parents were pretty even in what they contributed. You know, my dad was the one that would sew my dance costumes and he probably cooked wow. cooked more than my mother. But but as I'm saying that, I'm like, but they're outward tasks, aren't they? So again, we're talking about mental load, which is the invisible, the thinking, the planning, the organizing, actually. Now I start speaking. I have no idea who carried the mental load in that relationship. Interesting. but I, And I'm so glad that you brought up the role modeling idea because fundamentally what we're talking about is how an individual can uh, perhaps understand a bit better that they are carrying the mental load and then strategies for evening it out. But I think the wider issue is future generations. And, and again, with mental load, we're not just talking about people with children. We're talking right. about anyone that lives in a household with someone else. But actually, just to pause you, mental load can also be at work. So think about all the tasks outside of your job role, be that remembering colleagues' birthdays, organizing shared lunches, remembering to check in with people, keeping track of all the nuances in an office that aren't task-based. And traditionally, women have picked up that role more than men. And so again, this is not just a household conversation about load. Uh, many women have reported feeling their mental load from work as well. So double whammy combo. Du double whammy. And if you're then a working mother, it's a triple whammy, isn't it? About all the things you're trying to, to hold in your mind. And I, again, without really robust research, my educated guess would be women are seen as carers, nurturers, the people's people. And so by default, they get past the role of organizing the Christmas party and remembering to celebrate when somebody got a certain achievement, for example. This might be going off in a big segue, but if, if we can, if you're able to give us a soundbite answer, are women better at nurturing and 
doing that stuff or is it just that we're more habituated to do it and therefore we've worked on those skills? Okay, I'm going to take another educator guess at this response, Antonia. And I think my training taught me, although if I'm wrong, we'll have to uh, release, (laughs) we'll have to release an (laughs) apology, (laughs) that biologically we are wired as women to nurture and to raise our offspring. I remember watching actually a documentary on Netflix about new parents. It must have been when Orla and Freddie were little. And like the sound bite that I can remember is that for a mother, the amygdala, which is your fight or flight center, quadruples in size post having a baby, which is why when you are at one end of the house and your baby makes a murmur at the other end of the house, you hear it because you are like, absolutely attuned to keeping your baby safe and alive to the point where your brain anatomy, your amygdala has quadrupled in size, which is why my husband can sleep through my children when I'm there and not notice. Yet in same-sex couples in this study, one of the male partners their amygdala would quadruple in size. That's amazing. Dan and I have um, this amygdala joke (laughs) because we often take turns just due to the nature of our work, who's the primary caregiver of the boys at any one time. And it does tend to be like this. Whoever's the primary caregiver is the one that wakes up first overnight when one of them usually both, <laughs> is crying and has woken up. And, you know, if the other one hasn't woken up, the person who has woken up will be like, can you not Can you not hear Freddie crying? You know, a little bit grumpy. And there's always this joke like, oh, sorry, my, my amygdala's shrunk again. You, you know, my, your one's bigger at the moment because you're taking on the primary care of mine's shrunk. It'll go back the other way. But yes, that's, yes. So, so I think from an evolutionary perspective, yes, women are wired to care. But I, I think environment and personality mixes with biology, right? So, you know, there are some women that that aren't nurturing by nature and they don't want to be parents. And maybe they wouldn't be good at being a parent if they didn't want that because that's just not how they're wired or or it's not their personality. I also know a lot of men who are gentle and they're amazing friends, sons, partners, dads. And so, you know, I think we can't have a complete gender split conversation on this. Um, But I suppose when you come back to the typical or the pattern, that the pattern is that in most heterosexual households, yes, it seems to be that the woman carries the invisible load. Mm -hmm. And in workplaces, that seems, seems to be the trend too. Yes. So circling back to this idea of role modeling, and again, our primary aim of this podcast is to help people who may be experiencing the mental loan to understand it more and address those imbalances within their household or their workplace. However, on a wider level, we're also talking about our children and wanting to promote the ideas of gender equality for the next generation. So if you do live with children if you're able to work on the balance of the mental load in your household, your children will pick up on that. And that surely can only be a good thing for them moving forward as well. Yeah. And that probably comes down to where's the motivation, right? So for some people, you may notice the impact of your mental load. You may never have thought about the impact before, 
But if you are thinking and resenting what's going on in your household or in your workplace, but you don't feel able to speak up or communicate that clearly, or you hold historic societal views that prevent you from opening that dialogue, you know, maybe that's a motivator in terms of if you have children, how do you want to be in their future partnerships and how they're living their life? Mm-hmm. But, but in terms of that impact, Antonia, if people are going, yes, I have a to-do list 3,000 items long around all things family, organising, household, how would I know if that's taking a toll? Well, I think the main signs of the invisible load or the mental load One is obviously fatigue, right? Like your brain just doesn't get a break. It doesn't get to be or sit still because you always have a a running, ticking checklist in your head. Uh, I I think you can, in the long term, have a reduced empathy or care for others because, again, your capacity is just run dry. So if you are exhausted and fatigued for just getting through your household's load, your family's load, managing and maintaining that, then your ability to see need in others, offer support when it's required probably is limited, and I think that's understandable. Reportedly, there's higher rates of anxiety, worry, that feeling of kind of, I suppose, being a bit panicky and overwhelmed and also low mood. And I think that goes hand in hand, right? If you're busy, fatigued, overwhelmed a lot of the time, if your energy is invested in ensuring that the plumber turns up in time and remembering that the waff needs to happen on the car next week. Oh, and by the way, we've got Sally and Bob coming for dinner and what are we going to organise and I need to make sure I get to the supermarket and where's the time for exercise, for downtime for you, for activities that you enjoy? Like if there's less time and resource available for those elements of life. No wonder your mood would drop. I also think, um, and and the research really, or the emerging research I think is quite clear on this, is that if one member of the partnership perceives that they are carrying the bulk of the mental load, it is likely over time that they become frustrated and resentful, which means there's probably an elephant-sized problem in the relationship, which then long-term, right, creates a difficult dynamic. Potentially the other partner doesn't know why why their partner has got cold or distant or grumpy. That in time can create space and distance in the relationship and intimacy is known to go down. And, you know, I, I have friends that joke to me all the time, the best thing my partner can do for me to be intimate is to unload the dishwasher. You know, yeah, like, absolutely. don't give me a compliment, just unload the dishwasher. Fold the washing and then it's on. Fold the washing and then it's on. You know, but I think that speaks to mental load. It definitely does. But this stuff is difficult to talk about. Mm. And it seems to me that one of the most significant reasons why it is so difficult to talk about is because the very nature of the mental load is invisible. So it's so much easier to say you haven't emptied the dishwasher for four days running or, or I or I empty the dishwasher every day. Like that is, those are some indisputable facts that you can talk about. These are tangible events that you can focus on. Whereas the it's invis- hard to articulate, it's right? Hard it's to hard articulate. to articulate. And that one of the biggest problems about it is that you don't feel that you're recognized or appreciated for doing them. So that really might be true. Meaning like it, your partner just might 
have no idea to, about the extent of the mental load that you are carrying. And, and I would even wonder, do you have any idea about what mental load you carry? Like, do we just absorb, absorb, absorb? And I'm thinking of myself because I've thought about mental load in the past. If I stop myself and say, Jackie, what are all the things that you manage or think about? I actually don't know. Like it's so big that I can't put just my- so part of the course. I just can't yeah. put my finger on it. And so I think in terms of how that researcher ran her study is actually a really good place to start before you raise a conversation. And it's not like you're, you're armoring yourself up. It's just being aware. Keep a decision log for 24 hours or 48 hours actually start to note for yourself all the things in your household, family, you know, note the things that are kind of sitting in your domain from a, you know, thinking, initiating, anticipating, deciding, monitoring point of view. They were some of the words that you spoke about at the start of this podcast. What are the things I have to think about coming up? What do I then need to go and research or make decisions on? And what do I need to keep track of in terms of how things are going, managing, evolving in our household? And if you can just at least get a clear picture for yourself about the level of load that you're carrying, I think that just gives you some kind of clear guidance in terms of what you want to raise in that conversation with your partner. Then I think it's about how you raise, how you raise that conversation. And it's not conducive or it's unhelpful for you to raise this topic and to either be told, but I do X and Y. I do pick the kids up from school. I do take them to rugby on the weekend. I did wash the dishes last night. Because I think if you receive a response like that, it feels invalidating mm -hmm. because because your partner hasn't seen what you are trying to explain, which is that the load is invisible, but the load is taxing. It's heavy. It's yeah. heavy. And so I think you've got to be really clear about how you raise this. And so your partner might need educating on the mental load. Has your partner ever heard about that term before? And, you know, perhaps that's how you want to raise that conversation when it's quiet, when life isn't chaotic, when it's not late at night because nighttime conversations when people are tired aren't conducive. If you've been carrying the mental load for many, many years, it's not an immediate you need to have this conversation now, right? Like wait for you to be on a long drive somewhere or out for a walk together or can you do it or you've actually got time to think and process. And I think if it was me, I would start this conversation with, hey, I'm just wondering, have you ever heard of the concept the mental load or the invisible load. And perhaps you could have a bit of a conversation about what you have learnt, whether it's from this podcast. There's actually a great um, series of like cartoon drawings. Antonia, I don't know if you've if you've seen this. No. It's by a woman called Emma and, and it's called The Mental Load. And I really like this depiction of the mental load because it kind of it starts off with a woman asking her partner, can you clear the table? And so her partner cleared the table. And I think goes back to watching telly or goes back to what they're doing. And then it goes on with the woman saying, you know, doing it herself. And she takes one item off the table. She goes to put it away in a drawer along the way. So she sees washing on the floor. So she goes to put the washing in the laundry basket. She then sees that the laundry basket is full. So she goes into the laundry to put the load of washing on. She then sees that there's washing in the dryer that she takes out and folds and puts away. And like hours later, <laughs> the table is finally clear. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. And so it's, I suppose, that difference of 
the mental load isn't just I need to tell you what to do and you do it. It's all the things that I recognize along the way that need to be done for our family. And so if you have a way of being able to, I suppose, share what the mental load is like with your partner in a non-threatening way, which means you're not finger pointing, you're not blaming, it's really a I've come across this topic. It's something I've been thinking about. I want to talk with you about it. I think it would be really helpful if you have a a base understanding of what the concept is. Would you be open to reading this article or having a look through this comic strip or listening to this podcast that Antonio and Jackie did? I think you're then able to have a conversation where both parties have knowledge rather than one person holding the knowledge and one person not. And then I think it's about articulating the impact on you. So I have been feeling that I have been carrying a significant part of the mental load for our family. And this is the impact on me. I have been tired. It means I don't have energy for our relationship. I know that I've been getting irritable and shitty lately, and I don't want to be like that. You know, can I talk with you about all the things that I've been carrying in my head and how that weighs on me? And I think if your partner came to you from that angle, my hope is that you can have a conducive relationship rather than coming into that conversation with, do you know how much I do for this household? You know, do you understand what what that's doing to me? And this has to change. Like, you know, you're starting that off in a completely different tone and and hopefully a better ending when you do the former. It feels like definitely the way to go because you're not coming with an attack or aggressive mentality or a blame mentality. Mm. Like you, I mean, ideally sort of want to come to this conversation, giving your partner the benefit of the doubt that they're not doing anything to intentionally give you more tasks or because they're lazy or because in some way they feel like you should be doing that or anything like that. It's just, there just is this imbalance, take all kind of morality and judgment out of it and any intentionality and the shoulds they should just know you know and I think for many of us when we you feel like that but it's not useful you know you should just know that all of this stuff is required but maybe they don't and again how helpful is that as you're saying prepare for your next adventure with Emma Sleep For over seven years, Emma has transformed the sleep of more than 4 million people worldwide by working with sleep experts to carefully design and engineer products that provide great support and pressure relief for your most peaceful sleep ever. Now you can wake up feeling fully refreshed, recharged and ready to face the day with a smile. Upgrade to the coolest, most supportive sleep today with their range of mattresses, mattress toppers pillows, mattress protectors, and even ensembles and bundles where you can save more. And if you're still unsure about upgrading, don't worry. Emma Sleep offers a 120-night trial for their mattresses and beds, so on the occasion you don't find it a match for you, you can simply return it within the 120-day period and get 100% of your money back guaranteed. But that's not all. They also offer a 10-year warranty for their mattresses and free delivery nationwide. So what are you waiting for? Head over to emmasleep.co.nz and shop using our code UMATTER for an additional discount. Then I think if you're in a position where you're able to then start looking at what are all the areas of load in our household? The next step really is how you 
delegate those out or how you split them up together. And I think what's a really useful way of thinking about it, and this is what the Harvard researcher talked about, is think about like vertical channels of tasks. So rather than, okay, Patty, you're just in charge of swimming lessons, you know, well, actually, how does my partner then organize just the swimming lessons if he doesn't know what time ballet is on or who's got the children on what day or it's really difficult to like take ownership of one task in a vertical field. Whereas if you said, okay, all extracurricular activities for the children sit with parent one, Mm -hmm. all household maintenance sits with parent two, looking after the dog sits with parent two, doing all the food shopping and checking of what we need in the cupboard sits with parent one. You know, so if you can channel in in vertical columns, if that makes sense, Antonia, the different areas of tasks in the household, I think you're far more likely to be successful than picking an isolated task from the channel. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. And then circling back to this idea of perhaps having different standards Mm -hmm. for certain tasks, we, you gotta let it go. You gotta let it go. You gotta and let it go. So you have to be conscious about. You have got to be okay, really okay, with handing over that task. If you want to share the load, you have to let your partner do it their way. And no, because sort of comment criticism. Or you sit like, down and you decide as a couple what kind of food do we want to feed our kids. You have one conversation about that, and then you let it go. Hmm. I, I'm just thinking of my own example around laundry with this. So I went through a stage where I Marie Kondo folded every item in our house. Again, we couldn't live with each other, Jackie. Luckily we don't and we get on great. (laughs) Everyone's drawers, the entire linen cupboard. Like I probably spent like four days on this mad. Do you iron your sheets? I don't do any ironing. So even when you were Marie Kondoing, you no, didn't iron? It was no, just the folding? Okay. It was just the folding. Okay. I don't have headspace to iron. <laughs> um, I mean, I definitely don't, but I was just wondering if that was part of it. <laughs> my mother my mother used to iron our underwear. It's amazing, isn't it? Isn't that just incredible? It's extraordinary. Anyway. It's dedication, yeah. And then I noticed that Patty wouldn't fold and put the washing away. And he said, but I don't know how to Marie Kondo fold. And I thought, I have just created a rod for my own back. Mm. I'd rather him fold the washing and put it away if he sees a basket of washing there than me be so particular about how that washing is folded. Yeah. So for me, it was another little light bulb moment of like, yeah, let it go. Let it go. <laughs> so then once, again, hopefully this conversation about mental load has has gone well and you've been able to assign full responsibility to certain areas of life, what happens then if like, do you need to establish some kind of framework of let's check in? I think you this? totally always need chickens. Okay. I actually think couples need chickens on a weekly basis outside of household tasks and mental load. I just think in life, you need to check in with each other. It was funny, I was running a workshop this morning and I, I was talking to the participants all about relationships in life. And part of that was talking about romantic relationships. And, you know, I was saying to them that for many couples, marriages or, or long-term partnerships often hit ruts, you know, and often they hit ruts because life gets busy and you end up only talking to your partner about logistics. Yeah. And when you go out for dinner, you talk about the children and you know, when you think about when you're newly dating someone, how many vulnerable, meaningful conversations you have about them, their past, their dreams, their future. And do you still have those level of conversations as a couple 
when you're in the grind or whether you're just habituated to the same routine every day, every week. And so I really think weekly check-ins, like human to human, not parent to parent, you know, is really important. But I think also, yeah, absolutely with like an agenda item. Yeah, I think you need to be checking in on this. How's that going? We've been doing this now for, you know, a month. How are you finding it? What are your struggles? What's going well? That that kind of thing. So ultimately, Jackie, like sometimes it can be difficult to sort of contextualize our own experience to wider societies. And I guess what I mean by that is like, how do we know if we are in a good enough relationship? How do we know if the gender equality in our household is sort of okay? Like, is it, are we just talking about how you personally feel? I totally think we're thinking about how you personally feel because we're all different. We've all got different beliefs, backgrounds, lives, schedules, Right? Our families now are variable. They're, they're complex. Probably compared to 50 years ago where perhaps there were more gender stereotyped roles. And so I think at the end of the day, it comes down to what's the feeling in your tummy. You know, are you peaceful, happy, satisfied most of the time? Because none of us are like that all mm. of the time. But do you have satisfaction and peace in life? And if you're going to bed grumpy, resentful, if when your partner does something, you have like an inner rage that's happening inside your body, like to me, that's a pretty clear indicator that you are physically being, you know, telling yourself that things aren't okay and that you need to start listening to that. Yeah. That's great advice. I was just thinking as you were talking, this isn't easy stuff to bring up, you know, and that's probably why for a long time people don't bring it up because Mm. it's a little bit opaque. It's a little bit ephemeral. It's a bit of a gray area. And well, I find it really difficult to bring things up when it might come across like I am saying something negative about Mm. the person that I am talking to. So it is really difficult. And I was just thinking that, um, for those of you who haven't listened to it, we actually in season one did a whole episode on how to have difficult conversations, mm. of which I think this one can be classified as. Like mm. it's it's not easy. It makes you feel a bit funny, doesn't it, about mm. having to bring this up? Because I think also for so long, you know, women have been stereotyped as being nags. Mm. And this is definitely not what we're talking about. You know, like you are not nagging by bringing up something that is really important and meaningful for you in a way. Well, I think it's how you bring that up. Yes. Because I think if you don't have a transparent conversation, the bubble over of the frustration or resentment could be nagging. Mm -hmm. And then the likelihood of you having a conducive conversation is pretty slim to numb. None. Like we all know if somebody is at you, you feel like crap. (laughs) You know, when someone's at you all the time and you're probably less likely to be empathetic and caring in response. So I think we all need to know what our spillover is if we're bottling things up. Mm -hmm. And there most likely will be one. So again, coming back to the approach of it's very important to have this conversation and it can have wonderful results, right? Like Jackie, I'm sure you've got many examples of people who have had this conversation and their household does improve in the sense that everyone feels a lot better about how it runs and that you do feel like things are even. And so then you can have much more compassion, empathy, respect, just general cheerfulness Mm. within the household because you don't feel like it's all on you. Mm. And we can get that, right? Like we can get there. Yeah, I think people absolutely can. And I think probably during times it will slip back and you need to raise it again. And that's life, right? That's all habits. They've got to be continually practiced and reinforced 
to stay present mm. and to stay alive. And so I think, again, it's just that ongoing importance of communicating with each other. Funnily enough, it comes back down to that, doesn't it? <laughs> Mostly. <laughs> Things maybe How do. you talk to each other, how you share what's important. And, yeah, and, and I think, again, just being able to recognise it for yourself being really clear on how you feel and what you want going forward just helps the conversation to be conducive. Yeah. Thank you so much, Jackie. And we will put some extra resources on the mental load in the show notes if anyone is interested in delving a bit deeper into this topic. Jackie, you mentioned that comic uh, book. I'm really interested in having a look at that too, but that might be a really useful resource that people can uh, get hold of, perhaps as an overture to having this conversation if it's sort of treated in this slightly lighter way. That's often a a good opening to having a conversation. Um, But yeah, thank you so much. And um, to everyone listening, we really hope this has been useful and we wish you all the best on addressing the balance journey. (laughs) Navigating the load. Thank you, Antonia, again, always for fruitful conversation and um, good luck and take care. Yeah. See you next time, guys. Bye. Bye. that was what matters most for this week thank you so much for listening if you did enjoy this week's episode it would be great if you could rate review and subscribe to this podcast as that helps let other people know that we're here thanks again see you next time